Good morning, church. Pretty cool. Uh, happy Lord's Day. It's an absolute honor to be here. It's a, a gift already to be able to worship with you this morning. Hey, Psalm 73, if you have a copy of Scripture. Psalm 73. We have some ground to cover, so we're going to go for it. Um, all summer, we've been going through the Psalms, this beautiful companion book for God's people. The highs and the lows and absolutely um, brutal honesty that they show of how we can respond to God. I want to start here and kind of lay some groundwork. Hopefully this makes sense. But in October 7th, 2019, whether you know it or not, the company Apple uh, introduced a new feature called screen time. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe you got your report this morning. Maybe not. Okay. If you don't know, it's on your phone and it is absolutely terrifying if you've seen this before. Okay. Um, it, it creates a detailed report of your relationship with your phone and the apps that you use. Yes, it's real. Yes, it's terrible. Um, here's what I realized. All right. So I'm going to start here. If I can confess something this morning, I hope this is an okay place to do it. Uh, I got my summary reports. I get my summary reports. I don't know about you, but at around 9 a.m. on Sunday. I don't know if this is like on purpose or not, but I get my reports right before countdown at church. And what I realized is that week after week, I was in such a bad mood, okay? I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. I hope that makes sense. But for me, I was in a terrible mood. For a while, I would say, hey, you're 70% uh, increase this week. Here's all the apps you used, and then here's your total time. And I was in such a terrible mood. I knew I was supposed to be in church. I knew I was supposed to be focusing on what God had for me, but I would just be in a terrible, terrible mood. And what I realized is that week after week, it was just accountability report of my relationship with how I viewed the world. How I viewed the world. I didn't even realize it, but because of what my heart and my soul was doing, I was distracted. And what it did, it showed my soul, what it gave itself to that week. Subtle shifts in the way that I saw the world. And here's the part that I just now realized is that at the time, I didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize what this portal into a new world was doing to my soul. Now, in Psalm 73, we get a picture. We get a moment in a very famous Christian's life of what they gave their heart to. We see here that what we focus on forms us. What you focus on will form you, either for good or for bad. Let's dive in. Verse one. Truly or surely, it starts in the middle of a sentence. Surely God is good to Israel, to those that are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here we see wrestling. We see honesty. All right, a couple points in church for honesty. That's okay. What he had said was, I know God is for me. But what I see around me, I, I can't make those match. There's a gap between what he felt and what he knew of God. 
I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. Feet stumbling, faith slipping. Look at what he's focused on. And then he uses the word envy. That's just a church word for jealousy of things that other people have. You feel jealous when other people get blessed. That's what he experiences. So what he's focused on become his feet stumbling, his faith slipping. And he's looking around the world and those that don't follow God get more stuff. Those that follow God get blessing and prosperity. I'm not sure if anyone else in the room has felt that before. But here's the shocking part. Not that you and I have maybe experienced this before, but if this doesn't shock you enough that someone would say this in church, look who says it. Notice who says that they're envious. Notice it says a Psalm of Asaph. A Psalm of Asaph. This was the premier worship leader of Israel. This would be the person who uh, led the people of God into the sanctuary. That would be like, uh, for shock factor, that would be like uh, Brooke or Will or Caleb or at the campus that I serve at Holden. If, if they just kind of came up and said, I don't know, guys. Firm-ish foundation, maybe. He, he may not fail. They start to become questions at this point. That would be like if a worship leader or a staff member said, you know what, I don't know if following God is actually worth it. Now, I hope you feel some tension in the room because that's what you're supposed to feel in this psalm. You're supposed to feel the tension of a person having a crisis of faith and how they handle it. That's how shocking this is. So for Asaph, hear me, the question was not, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a good question. Why do bad things happen to good people? No, the question for him was, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad people get the good stuff? It's causing me and my faith to stumble a little bit. What is going on here? Is following God even worth it? His question could be your question. If you've ever asked it or if you've not even said it out loud before, it could be your question as well. So evidently, Asaph has gotten his eyes off of God and now was, here's the word, focused on those around him. Without realizing it, maybe his heart, uh, maybe he was on a long vacation, maybe he was going through a season in ministry, we don't really know. But for some reason, he was focused on the wrong thing. His eyes were off God. And this psalm is here, I think, because I think that's what our soul does if you've ever felt that before. You're focused on the wrong thing. It starts with what you give your attention to. That's how it starts. Let's keep going because his focus shifts to a frame. That's the other word. It doesn't just, hey, what do you focus on? It's actually a frame. What does a frame do? If you have a painting or uh, you see a picture, what does a frame do? It frames out, it creates a boundary of what you think success is. Focus on this. Focus on this. Put your attention here. 
So it goes from focus to a frame. It's when your soul says, wow, look, I see this everywhere. So what you give your attention to, it'll form you and you frame it out and say, this is what success is. This is what my life should be. God, please help it be this. And so you frame it out. Look at what Asaph sees. I'm gonna summarize here verse four through 11. So if you're looking, you can read it. They avoid pain. They produce violence. By putting others under their thumb, they make it worse and they mock those that follow God. So they avoid pain, they produce violence, they mock others, and they're propped up unjustly. It looks like the entire system is working for them. And so Asaph, in ministry, serving God, faith, stumbling, envy, rising up. He's framed out that there's no consequences for those that don't follow God. Look at verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, increasing in riches. You see that in verse 12? Always at ease, increasing in riches. Those that lie, cheat, and steal, always at ease. They got a good life. Sometimes it seems that way. Increasing in riches. This is still the dream, right? Increasing comfort and riches. Sounds good. And what they do is they push people down in God's world. So the psalm is here to say, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with a psalm like this where there's a crisis and there's a moment of faith? First you focus on the wrong thing, then you frame it out and say, this is what I need. So here's what happened. He's so focused on the lives of others, the wicked, those who don't deserve it, he frames everything and because of jealousy, he redefines success. He redefines what blessing is before God. Always at ease, increasing in riches. That's all that he saw. Students, parents, can I just, can I just say this this morning? You are and you will be tempted with this. Particularly, again, I confessed about my phone issues. <laughs> Particularly with what you see in the world and how you frame out the world, it's specifically engineered to frame out, this is success, do whatever it takes, increase comfort, increase riches, who cares about what else? That's what the world will serve you. So, driven by envy and things that you can't have, no wonder there's a faith that's stumbling. No wonder you're looking at, okay, what firm foundation am I actually standing on? No wonder. Which is why verse 13 says this, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So for him, in this moment, Following God, not worth it. Vanity, it's in vain. Why follow God when I've washed my hands, I've done what is right? What does it get me? You see this downward spiral from focusing to framing and what he realizes 
is that he's been formed. That's our third word, formed. He goes from paying attention to something, then he frames it out, I gotta have this, and now he becomes formed by that desire. Now the envy is working on him. And so he says this, if success is blank, if all God gets me is blank, that's not a good deal. That's just not a good deal, it's vain. In vain, I've kind of wasted my life in ministry. I've wasted my life serving God. Without realizing it, you may be struggling with this. If you've ever said something like this to God, brutal honesty, maybe you come into church and you're like, hey, I just gotta say this, God. Or maybe as you have tears on your pillow, maybe you've said that. Without realizing it, you've become secretly disappointed with God. The psalm is here. Again, can I just remind you, the psalm is here for those people. You've been secretly disappointed with God. His expectations don't meet what you actually read in scripture. You want more of that. Where is God? The psalm confirms in many ways what we already know. You and I already know this. Everything is formational. Everything will form out desires, cultivate desires in you. You don't get a choice about that. You and I don't get to choose whether or not we are formed. It's who or what is forming us in our hearts. Church forms us. Scripture forms us. Our company and our friends form us. The news forms us. You don't get to decide to be formed or not. You just are. The late uh, Tim Keller said this about your identity. Your identity is formed because, here's the quote, every culture without our permission and without naming it, it's subtle, imposes an identity formation process on us, its members. So again, what he's saying is just painfully true sometimes. You are being formed. Just depends on what or who. Like a sculpture being chiseled over time. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen over time. You find yourself a sculpture of what you've been formed. You find yourself being chiseled away at through the portal of your phone, cultivating desires, things you see, things you pay attention to. Again, focus to frame, to being formed. We don't ask for it, but through a process, you are being formed. Twisting maybe good desires. I don't wanna be anti-desire. Maybe those are good desires for you. But culture, the flesh, the devil, those, those kind of things, they will twist desires, which creates envy. Good morning, welcome to church. But in this psalm, here's what makes the good news, and I have good news for you. This is what makes it all shocking. You have to go kind of in that pit before you can hear the good news. And I hope this good news makes it all the more shocking, all the more beautiful, and all the more compelling to give your heart to. So we need a shift in perspective. 
We focused, which becomes a frame, which becomes our form. But look at what happens. Here's the shift. Look at what Asaph says, verse 16 and 17. I hope you read it. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Y'all, he was tired trying to understand this gap between what he felt and what he knew of God. Good news. Until. Until that moment, he went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. He was tr- tired of trying to figure out how this happened until God. Until God. Until he got in God's presence, then he got a perspective shift. You see, presence gives new perspective. A new presence will give you a new perspective. When you know God is here, he can change that perspective in the blink of an eye. Now he says, oh, I see their final destiny. It all makes sense now. I know their final end. I know that instead of vanity for me, it's vanity for them. But it takes God's presence. It takes God's presence, discernment in God's presence. Henry Nouwen describes discernment as seeing through. The ability to see through the mirage of culture, of twisted desires, of sin, to be able to see through that and see God. That's discernment. So to be able to cut between reality and to see life through God's perspective. Here's what I mean, another phone analogy. I'm assuming you use maps on your phone. I'm just gonna assume that to get where you're going. And what does, what does the Maps app do? It doesn't change congestion. It doesn't change traffic. It doesn't change the road. It doesn't change drivers. But what does it do? It gives a new perspective of where your destiny is. It gives you a new perspective to see the larger picture and see where it's all going. Again, the only promises it makes is to give you new data from a new perspective to get you where you should go. Guys, that's what God's presence does in our lives. It doesn't change circumstances. It doesn't change injustice. It doesn't change the horrible things. It doesn't answer those questions, but what does it do? It gives you a proper perspective and discernment and guidance on where to go. So, God's presence gives us a new perspective. Now, notice he says sanctuary. And this is also good news. I love this part because as a church, we're in the year of worship. Week in, week out, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices for God. The year of worship, both personally and together on Sundays, we learn and what it looks like to worship. Here's the best part about church. Can I just defend church a little bit? Here's the best part about church is that you get to come into a room, you look around and you get to tell one another, you're not crazy. Isn't that good? All week you felt crazy. All week you've been bombarded with images and uh, frames of what success is. And then you get to come into church and you look around and you look up to God and then you say, hey man, you're not crazy. You're not crazy 
for walking with God. You're not crazy for doing it God's way. You're not crazy for believing in God's promises. You're not crazy. Can I tell you, it's a gift for me as well because there's days when I come to church and I, I arrive empty, but leave full. I hope that's for you as well. You may come empty, you may have questions, you may come empty and you're like, I got nothing and I don't even know if God likes to hear me sing. Good news, new perspective because of God's presence. Can I also say that there is no such thing as a normal worship service. There's no such thing as a normal Sunday when God shows up. There's no such thing. Oh, it's fine. It's just a normal Sunday. Not when God's here. Not when God is here to shift our perspective. In church, we have a new frame. We have new guidelines of what success is. We get to be formed by God in new ways and we get to put our focus back on him. All week, we've been focused on other things, but in church, a tired soul, my tired soul, your tired soul can find a new perspective. To see clearly, to push away the other things and to see reality. What Asaph needed was not a mirage. He needed more reality. He needed more reality because he needed more of God, both personally and corporately. We experience the word discussed in groups, preached and read. We have prayers. We have the public reading of scripture. We have community. We serve, we flex that serving muscle because we don't, we know it's not to pay someone back a favor. It's because we need it. We need that serving muscle to serve a community, to build our faith. When you find your faith struggling, these are the things that you need. God's presence. Uh, Christians throughout history have called church, uh, the public gathering of Christians, they've called it thin spaces. Thin spaces. What do I mean? Thin spaces. It's this thin space where heaven and earth meet, where God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world, they fight. And as the people of God, we present ourselves in God's presence and say, here we are. We need to be formed. We need a new focus. We need to remind ourselves that God is here. God is here. Notice verse one. Let's keep going. We got time. Verse one, it says Asaph's feet were slipping. But notice in verse 18, it says it's the wicked who slip. Verse 18, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. So now it's no longer Asaph's faith. It's the wicked. Now he has discernment. Now he can see reality. And guess what he does? He sees clearly. Oh yeah, I remember their destiny. I see them slipping, not me. I have a firm foundation. Notice he also acknowledges the way he's treated God. He says, I was like a beast toward you. I was bitter towards God. What does he do? He repents. That's just called repentance. He turns his soul to God and he says, I was bitter, I was envious, and I was like a beast towards you. 
I was like an animal towards you. He's repenting. After an encounter with God, now he knows the only, the first thing I can do, the only thing I can do is get a new form. I've been formed by the world enough. I need to repent and be formed by God. So out of his new identity, he now has a new frame. He has a new frame, a, a new boundary of success. Keep, keep reading. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Verse 23, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and you will receive me in glory. You will receive me in glory. I am with you. You uphold me. You guide me. You will receive me. Can I tell you that's gospel good news this morning? God will receive you. He upholds you. He will guide you and he will bring you into his presence again. Verse 25, whom I in heaven but you, there is nothing on earth that I desire except you. Jesus does this interesting thing in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what Jesus does is super interesting because he's constantly asking the question, what do you want? Very rarely does he say, what do you know? Hey, teach me something. But what he does do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he'll say, what do you want? I want healing. What do you want? I need forgiveness. What do you need? Physically, my body is broken. Can you heal me? What do you want? Raise my family member from the dead. What's he doing? He's cultivating desire in us. Who am I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire except you. What a prayer. What a declaration. I want nothing but you. Can I say this in church this morning that God is not scared of your desires? He's not. He's not scared of your desires that are welling up inside your soul and you bring it to church. He's not scared of those desires, but what he does want you to do is he wants you to direct them to him. He does ask that you submit them to him to find discernment, to repent, and to give them to him. Make your own application here. This could be anything. This could be your desire for something in the future, uh, family, spouse, marriage, kids, uh, success, good things. And what he says is, those don't scare me. Bring them to me. Bring them to me and I will satisfy you like bread and water. God is my portion forever. Look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. I don't need anything else. I don't need increasing in riches. I don't need comfort. I don't need uh, increasing of riches or success materially. I have God. I have God. That's all I need. I'm not looking at what I have except God. I'm not looking at what they have. I'm looking at what I have. And if it's only God, that's okay. That is a good place to be. You see what Asaph is doing right now? There's the crisis of faith. But now instead of envy, 
He brings his desires, his jealousy, and it's replaced with gratitude. It's just replaced with thankfulness. It's replaced with just a simple prayer and a simple request from God. I just want you. And if I have you, I'm thankful. You may not be there this morning. And that's okay. Give him the desires you do have. Give him what you do have. Now, this is the antidote. This is the gospel good news that you can have God. Not God's stuff, although he does give it to his children. But when you receive the gospel, when you believe in Jesus, you just get Jesus. And that's enough. This is how you bridge the gap between what you know and what you feel. Here's what I, I think I know of God. And here's what I think I know of myself. And I'm just gonna give it to him. The gap is bridged in God's presence. That gap finds an answer with a new perspective. And it's given in a new perspective. Verse 28. This is the last verse. But as for me, it is good to be near God. His nearness is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of his works, that I may tell of your works. What does he have? He has a new focus. He has a new focus on life. The Lord is my refuge. The nearness of God is now good to me. Because of Jesus, the nearness of God, he can come close to me. I, I can go to the great high priest. I can go to God in the presence by the Holy Spirit to the right hand of the Father on the merit of another because of Jesus. I've made the Lord God my refuge. Do you see what Asaph is also struggling with? Now he's like, hey, I need a refuge. My faith is slipping. Can I also say this? If your faith is stumbling, your faith is slipping. That's happened a lot recently. It's happened over coffee. It's happened to public figures. It's happened to a lot of people when they're saying, again, that question from the beginning, is it worth it? Is following God worth it? Asaph ends the psalm with a resounding yes. It is. God's nearness is your good. He is now your refuge and your portion. Notice the word, forever. Forever. He will receive you at the end. There's nowhere or no time that you can be outside of God's presence. He's with you. So he repents. He reframes his heart. He shuts everything down. He's like, hey, I, I've been distracted. I got my eyes off of you. My faith was slipping because I framed out what success is in this life. And it wasn't God. It wasn't God. But now, can I tell you, his new focus, his faith is now tested. 
Notice his faith is now tested. Surely I think, and I know God is good to Israel, but now he's like, I know God is good to Israel. God is good to me. He personalizes it. God is good to me. The presence of God in all of life. When we wake up, when you take care of your family, when you make your coffee, when you commute to work, the Lord is your refuge. Give him your attention. Give him your desires for a new focus. By the Holy Spirit, you and I can say, we can say, I desire nothing but God. As we close, this verse started with brutal honesty, but it ends with the resounding yes, that God's way is worth it. It's worth it. And to the justice and suffering and wicked prospering around us, we need a new perspective. Uh, I think it was Glenn Packiam who said this. As Christians, we hold two things together. Here's the tension. In Christ, it shouldn't be this way. And when he returns, it won't be this way. The injustice, the suffering, increasing in riches, the prosperity of the wicked, it won't be this way when God returns. We know it shouldn't be this way, but when he comes back, it won't. In this room, let's stand together. I'm gonna read two verses. Let's stand together. I'm gonna read two verses and then we're gonna respond. To those in the room this morning, I wanna read these verses from a relative of Jesus. We read it last week, actually. But I'm gonna read these two verses and then we're gonna respond to God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, notice the words, to keep your faith from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Notice, presence. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now here's the kingdom language. Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Before all time and now forever. Amen. I'm gonna pray and then we'll worship. Father, we declare that your nearness is good that there's no such thing as a normal Sunday together when you are here. By your Holy Spirit among your people, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would repent from being bitter towards you and our expectations of what success is, that you would redefine that for us, that we would present our desires to you, that we would walk out of here thankful, with gratitude towards you. We would worship, we would present our whole selves to you, God, in your presence now and forevermore. In your name, Jesus.